What's up, buttholes? Welcome back to the Bad Christian Podcast. This is Matt. I'm doing the intro of the episode today solo because the episode, it contains Mary Beth and Toby um, on the interview as described in the title and description of this episode that you clicked on. But I'm just here to tell you happy Thanksgiving and to deliver to you the, you know, promotional materials and things like that. So I'm going to work through what we call the CTA list, the call to action list. There's a bunch of stuff written on it, but there's only really one thing that's important to me on it, and that's that rub some dirt on it. Emory's new album is out now, and you can see it. It's not an album you listen to yet. It's an album you watch. Uh, It's on YouTube for free there. I think it's a pretty neat thing that we were able to accomplish, and in a lot of ways I think it's a first Um, that Emory's been able to achieve is to capture a new uh, album in real time live. We we spent just over 90 minutes start to back to front and capture a whole album. We practiced it a good amount of times. Uh, We had a 12-man camera crew there, and we had to do whatever we had to do to create the environment and the situation and intensity that makes our music feel right with no audience and without a bunch of you know, bedroom studio takes cobbled together. So that was kind of the the nature of the experiment. And um, it was quite intense of a process to do. It felt a lot like training for something uh, more than recording an album and being creative. The creative part happened at the beginning, but by the time the taping happened, it was a lot of uh, focus and still a lot of expression uh, in the moment and a lot of cool things that came out and the fact that it's captured on video you just hear everything the way uh, the way it looks makes it sound the way you should hear it and that's the way that we mixed it uh, I mixed the the thing right to the video while watching it which makes me quite excited uh, Josh Head our keyboard player and you know screamer dancer guy he did the audio capture uh, and I did the mix we did as a team we were able to do this as a completely self-contained thing the video people are Zach and Life who are giant Emory fans and have been since the beginning um, working directly with us in the room managing a small crew so to be able to do this thing and put it directly on YouTube with nothing no gatekeepers no nothing just we just have it we put it on use, not even on Spotify, because we want you to see the album. So please do me a favor and go watch Rub Some Dirt On It, our new album on YouTube, and share it. It's free. You can just text it to anybody in the world as a YouTube link, and they'll be experiencing the new album the same way that we experienced capturing the new Emory album. So, you know, quite an achievement. Um, not a, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, toot. We're going to, you know, I'm tooting our own horn here. Actually, that is what I'm trying to do. And maybe you would do some tooting of your horn, our direction, and the direction of other people as well. It's all about word of mouth uh, these days. And word of mouth isn't even usually from your mouth. It's just word of thumbs typing. So that's the kind of thing. Just sit, not not even that, just swipe a link over to your friend from Emory's YouTube. I'm sorry, it's not on Emory's YouTube. It's on Knuckle Breakers YouTube, by the way. Um, You can (laughs) become, Knuckle Breakers is the distro that we're using for the BC Club and for Emeryland and for a lot of stuff. Uh, Knuckle Breakers is a a bunch of overlapping communities and content and stuff like that. So we're working out the brands and the distro and the business model and we're trying new things. Um, But the Emory album is on Knuckle Breakers YouTube. 
And so you can find it there. Also, you can become a member of Knuckle Breakers. Those are the people who funded the record and fund this podcast and a bunch of other stuff like that. It's knucklebreakers.co. You get two ep- you get two extra episodes of this podcast a week um, with a Knuckle Breakers mem- membership. Uh, you get uh, get a also on this list. We got you get a free gift from Marriage Supply now through Cyber Monday when you spend twenty dollars or more. No code required. Um, that's a big deal. Get so you can get some sex toys for your holidays. I think that's a good idea. That's that's MarriageSupply.com. Um, okay. Additionally, if you haven't heard yet, the Knuckle Breaker Bash in Kansas City is on Friday, December 10th. Aaron Marsh is headlining. There'll be Chris Keene, Aaron Sprinkle, and Emery. So, uh, we'll be there doing these, uh, really intimate and special sets. It's going to be a great thing. We're also doing a songs and stories show in St. Louis on December 9th. You can go to emerymusic.com to find that kind of stuff out. Uh, and we also got custom songs. We, Toby and Devin write custom songs. We've done about 100 of those in the last few years, and it's one of our favorite things to do. Um, it's great for a Christmas gift, and we'll do our best to have it completed by then. should be no problem. Go to emerymusic.com, and you can get Toby and Devin to collaborate on a song for you or for your loved one about whatever you want. So that's all the things that I have in the call to action list. Um, and now I'm going to just kick it on over to Mary Beth and Toby, who did this interview that I think you will very much enjoy. Otherwise, you wouldn't have clicked on the title, the episode, and its description. But I'm just here in the lobby welcoming you into the universe here. And take it away, guys. Hope you all have a good holiday. Love you all. All right. We got uh, John Seidel here. We just learned your last name, how to say your last name. Is, is that... Uh, is is that ever caused you issues with how to pronounce your last name, or is that a big deal? Yeah, a lot. In fact, I I bought all the misspellings and mispronunciations. <laughs> uh, I can thank my German grandfather, who I love and adore, rest in peace. But um, yeah, he came straight over from Germany and also brought the confusing spelling and pronunciation. Yeah, my last nice. name's Morel, but everybody's always called me Moral. I don't know why. I, I, like like I, a mushroom. Yes, it's, it's, it is. It's spelled the same way, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so, John, your your PR hit us up, and I was like, man, this will be interesting because you wrote a book called Finding Rest, and it's about anxiety and OCD, and in the Christian circles. And I was like, oh man, this this will be really good. And then, uh, so, but then then after we got your book, I found out two things about you. One. I love, and then one I hope you can just bear with me. So, which one do you want? Which one do you want first? You want the thing that I love? Yes. The, the, yes. Okay. The thing then that you I can love. Let me down easy. Yeah. Okay. So the thing I love is I am a massive Green Bay Packer fan. I I love the Packers like you can't believe. I was devastated. Yesterday's oh. game was unbelievable with them playing uh, Minnesota, and I was like, I was it was up and down, and I was even okay with the loss because it was a really fun game, and and we should have won. There was a lot of penalties and stuff like that, but that I mean, should have been an interception at the end there. Oh, I know. I mean, there was two interceptions that yeah. Kirk Cousins got away with. And I mean, some of the calls, I was just like, they just want the Packers to lose or something. But uh, I, I grew up in Greer, South Carolina, but uh, I'd never had a team. The, the Panthers came, you know, I guess maybe when I was in high school, maybe there's something like that. And I, uh, I just didn't really care about them for some reason. I didn't like the colors. And then I just loved Brett Favre. He's my all time favorite player. And so I was mm-hmm. like, they're my team. So I, I've been a fan ever since. <laughs> 
Well, so here's that, the thing, Toby. All, all those people in Carolina still don't have a football team. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mic my, my drop, right? <laughs> if, you, if you want, if you're reading the book in South Carolina, I am so sorry. <laughs> They're burning it as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> all that's, right, what, and th- that's what happens when you record these podcasts later, like when it's in the evening, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just, you, you know, you're a little bit more loose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why we got oh, you yeah. here tonight. We can't wait to hear some of the stuff you say. <laughs> uh, okay, the second thing that uh, is uh, that I, that you might not like as much is I didn't know, but I often troll Kirk Cameron a lot. I, <laughs> oh. I, I troll his camp campfire uh, things that he does and stuff like that, and I didn't. I, uh, I think that's interesting. Like I. I was like a massive Kirk Cameron fan back in the day with growing pain. I mean, I still, I still am like, he still gets me something about him is, is phenomenal. And also it's very, it's a little too American for me and all that stuff, but you, you work with Kirk Cameron or do you, or do you still do that or what? So I still have a relationship with Kirk. So I, I was the managing editor of his um, course business and his website, the courage. Yeah. Um, and then we have just remained friends. Yeah. So how is, how is text, he behind the scenes? I will, I will text him right now. <laughs> no, don't. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. I, I just like going on there and, and I'll just say some things, you know, like I just, I don't know. I, I like to drop old uh, Growing Pains references and stuff like that. Were you were you a fan of his when you were growing up? Like, did you watch that show or is, is that at So here's, he, here's the funny thing is, and I kind of talk a little bit about this in the book, although I don't get into um, too much detail, but um I grew up in a pretty fundamentalist type home. And so we weren't really allowed to watch TV. And, and in fact, I think I say in the book, I, I once got grounded for sneaking an episode of Full House in a hospital waiting room. No way. And so uh, we were not allowed to watch um, Growing Pains. Um, but yet, I, I mean, I feel like my parents, if they only knew at the time that Kirk would be uh, Buck in in um, Left Behind, they right. probably would have been okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you growing up in Wisconsin, when you say really fundamentalist, like just like not even any TV, no, like what was the rule? There, there was some TV, um, and so there's this funny story that I kind of tell in the book where um, we there were certain things we could watch, so like like Apollo 13, right? Like that was allowed. Um, and for some reason there was this old, there's this old Robert Duvall movie called the apostle and like, he plays this, you know, really yeah. like, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. his character is not like the wholesome character, right? He like right. kills someone in the movie and then runs away. Blah, blah. Yeah. But we could watch the apostle because my, I, I grew up in, in a, um, Pentecostal, uh, yeah. family. And so they didn't see it as making fun of it. They, I don't know, whatever. So we were, we were allowed to watch that. Um, and like, um, uh, what are like seasons of the heart, like the feature films for family stuff. Oh yeah. Um, seasons of the heart and Rigoletto, you know, so we could watch that and some historical stuff, which led to a really funny moment in my childhood where, you know, this is before like IMDB and everything. Right. So like, like Titanic comes out and it's like a historical movie. Right. So like the family goes to Titanic and then like, there's the scene, like the nudity scene. Yeah. yeah. And we never went to a movie again after that. <laughs> that was it. Uh, seeing, oh, Ro- no. seeing Rose's boobs, that was the end of all that, movies for you. It was never not, again. Not happening after that. 
Oh wow! I grew oh, up very, I grew up very <laughs> Pentecostal too. My grand my granddad was a pastor, and we weren't even supposed to go see movies. Like yeah. we weren't we weren't even supposed to. We my my dad preacher kid. We would sneak across town. We drive like 30, 45 minutes to the other side. We grew up in Greer, but Greenville was the bigger town. We drive all the way to the other side and then kind of sneak in and go watch a movie. You know what I mean? And that that was it. And it, I mean, they didn't even wear jewelry. Uh, women really, they didn't really want them to wear too much makeup or cut their hair, no pants. You know, there's a lot of rules, evidence. Probably of not wear hello. I'm probably obnoxious sweatshirts. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Ironically, I didn't, I like, I have had this on all day and then I realized we would be talking about anxiety and stuff today. So my outfit's oh, fitting. Oh, I yeah. totally misread that. I thought it said, hello, I'm probably obnoxious. Oh, I'm so I mean, sorry. It says, hello, true. I'm probably anxious. It's, it's also true. So you're not far off. <laughs> well, what I can tell you is like when my parents uh, got my parents, I came from a divorced family and um, my dad, I remember it was like this big thing. And my dad was was like, well, I, this is when the new star, the, the Star Wars, like, were remastered. You know, not this is before like Phantom Menace and all that stuff, but like they yeah. came, they remastered and came out. And I remember my dad being like, well, your mom doesn't want us to to want me to take you to this, but screw that, I'm your dad, I'm taking you. You know, and uh, <laughs> so I, I did go to those. But to answer your earlier question, I would say Kirk is a very very genuine, great guy behind the scenes, as genuine as. Uh, in those campfire um, videos, whether wh wh whatever you think of, 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 you know, what you agree with or not. And so, you know, I was honored that he wrote the forward. And so I can say just on a serious note that love the guy and, um, and, and, and I'm honored that, that uh, to know him and have that relationship. Yeah. I, I believe he's genuine. I don't think he's faking or doing any, I mean, he could have had like a serious, I think he actually could have had a, a, a huge career. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's first uh, acting work was on Growing Pains. That's I mean, right. and, and, and right. I mean, at that time, Kirk Cameron was way bigger than Leonardo DiCaprio, and I mean, right. he could have mm -hmm. done something. So, I, I believe he's genuine. It's just, it some some of the stuff I think he's a little bit too intertwined, maybe with Americanism and and a nationalism and stuff like that. But I mean, teaches on whatever. I thought it, I did think it was kind of cool that you got Kirk Cameron to write that for it. I would love if he came on the show. I'd love it if we could get him and Ray Comfort. If we could get mm. both of them together and then just see what could happen, you know, that would be pretty amazing. I don't know. Ray would lull you in a good way, I think, with his accent. I, yep. I've come to know a lot of Kiwis. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, in fact, I'm working with one right now on a project and um, like we'll be on Zoom calls and I'll just be like, can you just talk? Like, can I just type out what I want to say in the meeting and you just right. say it? Because it sounds so much better coming out of your voice. I'm the same way. That's probably my favorite accent of any accent ever and where I would relocate if I were to move to a different country for sure. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. I might would too. Uh, New well, Zealand, I don't, yeah. not Australia because they have the huge spiders and I'm not with it. Yeah. New Zealand, you got me. I'm all in. <laughs> the, the times we've toured in Australia has been amazing. Like, I mean, it, it is really a lot like America in so many ways especially because they you know they all speak english and stuff too but and it everybody kind of sounds southern a little bit to me <laughs> you know i know it's english accent or something it kind of sounds like southern to me so um <laughs> so anyway I, I wanted to get into it a little bit but i mean you've been a writer forever i mean you've done so much stuff like yeah on your own digital media consulting company i mean you've been 
you've worked in news. I mean, you've done all of these things, uh, ran in a lot of Christian circles, even grew up, like you said, very fundamentalist Christian. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I feel like you are in all these circles and you're in the circles that do not want to talk about anxiety or OCD. Like they, for the longest time, like they just, it was the way I was taught, uh, which is interesting too. Now, I mean, I really do. There's a lot of trauma with that. Like even within my own family, because I have several member members of my family, close family that struggle with a lot of mental disorders, OCD, anxiety, depression, uh, the list goes on and on. And you can't talk about it because that would mean God isn't working in your life or you aren't believing enough or something like that. I don't know if your if your story, you know, I'm, I've been reading a little bit of the book. I know it's a little bit similar, but you can, you can, we can jump off right there. But I mean, just the talking about it is hard. Yeah. Listen, one of the hardest things for me to write in the book was the conversation that I had with my mom after I was diagnosed um, and telling her that I was taking medication because I did grow up in a home that said, if you're struggling, it's a lack of faith. It is, you know, you're not praying enough. You're not believing, um, or you have unrepentant sin. And so actually Toby, going back, let, let, let's bring it all around is that, you know, one of the impetuses for me to really questioning some of the stuff that I was raised to believe was when Reggie White died, Reggie White being the great Packers defensive end. And I remember, I can even, I can picture like we're in front of this old 76 gas station and it's right around Christmas. Might've been even Christmas Eve. And um, the radio DJ comes on and says, Hey, we have some really bad news. Like Reggie White has died. And I mean, and he was like 40 something, you know, we're all just like, what? Like, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, he, he would play, he would play in like, even like either on his off weeks or during um, midweek services, he would preach at at, at his church in Green Bay. Yeah. He's a pastor. Yeah. Right. Minister of defense. Right. Right. And after he retired, he was, he was, he was pastoring in North Carolina and my stepdad, I'll never forget it. Just says, well, you know, that's really sad. Reggie must've had unrepentant sin. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, the Bible promises us 70 years. And so, you know, he died. And so, you know, that's, that's, um, it's, it's on him, you know? Hey guys, let me just say a quick happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow with family and friends, good food, good fellowship, all that good stuff. Also, everybody knows that the day after Thanksgiving is, you know, what we consumerists love called Black Friday. So what we're doing over at the Emory camp is we're offering quite a few deals at our web store, shop.emorymusic.com. Go there, and if you spend $50 or more, you're entered into a drawing to win a personal video message from the band. So one, we're going to be giving out like five personal messages to different people. Who knows what we'll do? We might sing a little ditty. We might throw a rap in there. I don't know what we're going to do, but it'll be cool. So if you want a personal message for Christmas or anything like that, or for someone special, spend 50 bucks or more uh, this weekend, Black Friday through Cyber Monday at shop.emorymusic.com and enter yourself for a chance to win. Happy Thanksgiving. It's funny. We were just talking about divorce. My parents are divorced. Uh, Mary Beth's parents are getting divorced. Your parents are divorced. And it's interesting too, though, like, because me growing up uh, fundamentalist Christian as well, Divorce was really bad, but my parents needed to get a divorce uh, way soon. They, they waited all the way till I was about 18 years old, but they should have gotten divorced probably before I was born for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
and with my parents, so what's different is my, I, my parents grew up Catholic. And so it, what my mom didn't become assemblies of God until she married my stepdad. And that's when things really changed. That's when it was like no TV, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is your dad still Catholic? Kind of nominal. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's a lot of stories. I mean, one of our, our, the host that we used to have another host, Joey, his parents were Catholic and they moved into assemblies of God as well. Like, I don't know if that's a, as a big it migration, is. but it definitely is because I think you go from, you go, you go from one thing to you kind of swing the pendulum. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyways, do you want me to pick back up with my, yeah, yeah, we were talking about Reggie White, who was just an unbelievable legend on the football field. And then, I mean, and what was so crazy about his death, too, he was larger than life personality. I mean, he, he breathed life. Everybody, I mean, his smile was unbelievable. He was amazing. I mean, he was just, he was like the coolest football player. Because, I mean, he was a pastor, but he would, I mean, you, he would talk some junk to other people and he could back <laughs> it up. Right. He, he came from the Eagles and then came to us and it's just like a, a Packer legend. And then just, yeah. what was he, 45? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was, he was four or five or even, or even. Yeah. And so when my stepdad told me that, when he said, you, you, you know, Reggie should have lived 70 years. And so I, that kind of, I remember just thinking like, I mean, I would watch Reggie white highlights before my own football games growing up. Mm. Right. So I was a linebacker, but you know, I mean, sacking the quarterback, a sacking the quarterback. Right? right. And so I, I was just like, that really kind of started me on my own journey of self-discovery of like, okay, that doesn't seem right to me. Um, and so why is that not right? You know? Yeah. And, and, and really my stepdad ended that conversation by saying, you know, you know, you need, you need to read, you need to get in the word and read. And it's like, uh, okay, right. well, I found the book of Job. I don't really talk. We didn't really talk much about the book of Job, except for that like last couple of verses where it's like Job got like everything he wanted ever right. in life, you know, like yeah. he, he got double. And, and so that, that kind of started me on that journey. And, and while I didn't know I had, I had anxiety and OCD at the time, I didn't know it. Right. Um, I just th- kind of thought I was different, um, which, <laughs> which changes. Um, but I, it, that kind of laid the basis for me later when I did come to understand that I had anxiety and OCD, like how, what, what that meant, like, was God like punishing me? Was it that I was not praying enough and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I kind of go back to this conversation, like the hardest thing was, was telling my mom about my use of medication and it didn't go well. And I detail that in the book of just, because I think there's a lot of people who have had those conversations. You don't have to be Pentecostal assemblies of God, Baptist, Presbyterian. I think it, you know, what I say in the book is that I think that ideology is very prevalent within the church, no matter what denomination. You don't you don't yeah. have to subscribe to just one thing of or one denomination. It's a, it's something that really is prevalent. And I talk about my buddy Matt and my buddy Matt, who is as reformed Baptist now as you can imagine. You started going through this difficult time during COVID and started having anxiety. And and when I talked to him about, okay, well, like maybe you want to go see a counselor. Like, do you consider medication? No, I can't. Yeah, I no, I just. I'm just not sure. Like that's, that's like, maybe I'm not just like having enough faith, you know? And I'm like, yeah, bro, you, you, you talk about not, you know, about being like a really like heavy reformed Baptist. That's, that's the same thinking that I grew up in, you know, yeah. that says that. So that's a really long answer to say, 
um, that's that was kind of my background and upbringing, and and so that's also what I encountered when I first came out, if you will, about yeah. my my issues. That so many people wrote me and said, "Oh my gosh, me too!" Like, yes, yeah. like I've I've had that reaction from other people, or you know, my dad was. I remember this one lady wrote in. My dad was a pastor, and he told me I sh- I should not take medication, and so like I haven't been, and and you just kind of gave me permission to do that. You know, yeah. How did uh, your when you say you knew you were different or things were how how did it manifest in your life? Like what was what were some of the things that were happening where you were like, uh oh, I got to keep this a secret. So I think growing up, it was there was just always thoughts I could not get out of my head. So so mine is called intrusive thought OCD. You know, so you have the people like Howie Mandel who wash their hands, you know, twenty million times or check yeah. the doors five thousand times. Um. And, you know, the, the, there are thoughts in their head. And so they, they act on these, the compulsions in a sense, kind of help clear them out in a way. Yeah. But mine really just kind of stayed more in the thoughts and less on, less on the compulsions, although there, there has been some of that. And so I, I just like, you know, I'd get fixated on a girl, right. Or I'd get fixated on being heartbroken by that girl. Right. And, and these things I just could not stop thinking about. And in, in my body, I mean, it was really kind of like this idea, like I was standing on a cliff looking over and that feeling you get in your stomach where, you, where, where it rises up into your throat and it's that fight or flight response, which, you know, to talk a little bit scientifically is that's what OCD and anxiety is, right? It's a overreaction of the fight or flight response, the natural life giving self-preservation but you encounter something in life that a quote unquote normal person faces and they just, you know, I mean, that's just nothing, right? Right. I face it and it triggers that fight or flight response. Uh, uh, you know, an email from a boss at night that's like, hey, let's talk about this tomorrow. Well, I can't stop thinking about that, you know? Right. Um, so things like that, that, that was my normal growing up, you know, and I tell people, I have no idea how I made it through high school or college, especially I went to college in New York City right? The, the most anxious place you can imagine. Um, always kind of surrounded by that. And I mean, by, it, it really is. It's by God's grace. And so, um, but once you get married, uh, it really has a way of exposing <laughs> some of these things. And so once I got married, it, it only took about three years for my wife to finally say, we can't live like this. Wow. You need to get help. And so that, she that, was seeing it and it was causing her, it, it, she was recognizing issues that you were having and then it was causing issues in the marriage, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah. Now she didn't know, like she didn't, she hadn't, she wasn't like you have anxiety or you have OCD. She was like, right. I, I don't know what this is. Right. And so there was this instance where we were living in downtown Dallas and we were going to go on a walk and on, on like a Saturday morning and there's like a coffee shop below and we went to get coffee. I was going to run to the bathroom. I said, Hey just make sure there's no sweet or there's no uh, Splenda in the coffee because I hate Splenda. Like, I think it tastes like chalk and dirty sock water together. You know, yeah. if they had a baby, that would be Splenda. <laughs> and um, so she's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. You know, I like, I like sweet and low. Give me the pink stuff. And I come back from the bathroom and take a sip of my coffee. And wouldn't you know it? They're splendid. Right. No. Right. And I just like, I lose it. Not like, like I don't like start yelling and shouting and like punching a wall, but like that fight or flight response over the wrong 
sweetener in your coffee starts rising up, right? And, you know, it was later that day or the next morning that my wife was like, hey, I can't live like this, right? Like, like I'm I'm not going anywhere, but we we need to figure this out because I am always walking on eggshells. And I think anyone uh, listening to this who struggles with, with anything with mental health, you've probably heard your loved ones, friends, family, whoever say something similar. I'm walking on eggshells, yeah. right? It's very mm-hmm. popular. And so when you, you know, when you see the woman you love and that you are committed to just like broken and broken down in front of you in a, in that moment, when you realize I've just wasted a day because of the wrong sweetener in my coffee. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I need help. And so that's, that's when I went to the psychiatrist and, um, that, yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the day that he gave me that diagnosis was the most freeing day of my life because I can imagine I finally knew what I was fighting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, the first chapter in the book is called call it by its name. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I've been reading, reading the book and I thought that was so powerful. You're right. Like naming it, that, that relief that you probably got. I mean, I just think that's just amazing. Like, cause you're right. There's something there and you don't know what to do. And then when you can name it, it gives you some kind of parameters to work within then. Right. Yes. And that's why, you know, going back to even just how we open this up, like the theology that says, you know, my stepdad who, who has now passed and, and we've uh, made up and, and, and he came to understand, uh, let me just put it this way. He did not last 70 years and he would not say even right before then that everyone was guaranteed 70 years, you know? Yeah. So, so I just want to make sure that people, you know, I'm not bad mouthing my stepdad. We, we came to a better understanding of that kind of stuff. But um, the, I, this, this idea that you can't say that you're sick, right? Yeah. Uh, my, my stepdad for many years, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like coughing up a lung, you know, runny nose, you know, chills all over. And you're like, Mike, are, are you okay? No, I'm not sick. I'm not confessing that over myself. It's like, well, n- no, that you're definitely sick. And actually by, by saying that you're sick, you can actually fight back against your sickness. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, just, you know, someone, someone who's been shot in the arm walking around saying, no, I'm not shot in the arm. I'm not shot in the arm. Well, listen, you're, you're, you're not, you, you need to admit you're shot in the arm and then you need to go get help for the gunshot wound in your arm. Right. You know? right. Um, and so, so that's why that idea of naming it was so, so freeing to me. Yeah, yeah you're right. Cause, and, and the thing that, that I, I, I don't think people understand is you are in some ways naming it anyway. It's the thing, it, it just becomes the thing you avoid, the thing you hide the thing that you don't want to talk about, you know, you are naming it on some level and then somebody like very similar. Our stories seem very related. Uh, my family, when, when it's like that, they go, I'm not going to claim it or I'm not going to name it or whatever. It's almost like, then you're accepting that this is the, what life is. Like, you know, that something's wrong and you're just going to say that God wants this for you. Like, that's the thing I couldn't, I could not handle is that God would want something for me that was so miserable or so frustrating or, or I couldn't even talk about it with other Christians or other right. people. You know what I mean? Like whatever that is, that, I was like, that, that, that doesn't seem like God. God seems like everything would be light would be shown upon it and yeah, it like, could be talked about. Why would God be the dark cloud that follows you rather than the bright sunny cloud that follows right. you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what I've come to learn and understand 
and we can get into this more, is is it you have to have the you have to have a proper theology of suffering. That's what I call it in the book. And I kind of lay out what that means. And so the proper theology of suffering is understanding that A, we live in a fallen world, right? There's like we can't curry God's favor. He's not a slot machine or really a vending machine, right? If I put five quarters in, I get this out. If I pray this way, I get health. If I pray that way, I get wealth and prosperity, right? right. The proper theology of suffering says, no, we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. But what God has promised, God, God did not promise that we won't go through trouble, right? In fact, Jesus says the opposite, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. Um, and and so, really, it's understanding that God has promised us to use those things for our good and his glory, right? He redeems those things. They happen, and, and sure, are there some things he can stop and does stop? Yes. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm driving back from um, my uh, in-law's little lake place that I took the weekend to, right? I'm, it's dark on the side of a road, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere— this man starts walking out into the highway, right? Mm. I swerve, I miss him, but there's an oncoming car that then I barely miss and get back in the lane, right? Like, I thank God that he stopped that tragedy from happening, right? Like, I have to give him credit for that. Now, listen, my anxiety, though, he still allows to happen. I pray that he takes it away. I pray someday he does, and he hasn't. So then what, right? And, 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 you know, one verse that we didn't really like to talk about growing up was the whole Paul with the thorn in his flesh, right? We yeah. just kind of skipped that one over. And it's like, no, that's actually one of the most important verses for me as someone who's struggling, especially with a persistent, quote unquote, thorn, right? If Paul can pray and pray and pray and this thorn, and it doesn't even matter if it's like physical or spiritual, like whatever it is, it's a problem. Yeah. And he, he, he hasn't curried God's, God's favor to get away. And there's two things he says in that verse that are so important. One, he says, you know, I have learned that it's, it's to keep me humble, right? So that's the for, for our good part, right? Like maybe Paul was the most like prideful son of a gun in the entire world, right? Which when you think of his past, you're like, well, the guy who's going to like kill Christians and root them out, he's probably got some self-image issues, yeah. <laughs> right? Like he's probably got some pride and, you know, selfishness in there. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is like, and I've learned, you know, that like God is using, so I've learned that he's using this. And then second, that like, I need to just rest in the fact that he's got it under control, right? And, um, and I think that is, that is so, so so important. Yeah, I think for me, um, so I, I mean, this whole podcast and I, I worked at two mega churches. I was a worship leader at two mega churches and, uh, I, I felt like people often confuse our minds with our spirit. And then that's why they, when, when you talk about your mind, uh, causing issues, it, they relate it to your spirit and the spirit is with God. And so that, that all has to work. Cause that's the, the one thing that you really do have. Um, and I think people get, get confused sometimes because they go, Oh, well, if you can get better, God's a great physician or he will heal you. And everybody has hard times and you just have to get through it. And there's this, uh, it's almost like a, the, uh, 
American dream work ethic that's mixed in there as well. It's like, if you just keep pushing, your dreams will come true or it'll get better. Or you can at least know that you've done something and God will, you know, maybe he'll heal you or something like that. But what you're saying and what I've, I've been realizing more and more is, and, it, and once again, it's interesting that you talk about that, that eggshells. I kind of had a, uh, I hadn't, I've had a few really powerful moments in my life that I would call spiritual or God maybe intervened uh, more than just even that. Like it was just that the moment was so pure and I had one, uh, I talked about it on the, our last episode. I had one uh, last weekend where it just felt like all of a sudden I was, I was crushed and my heart was broken. And it was that same thing. I'm like, are people walking on eggshells around me and why? And, and my influence on just my family, but not only other people, it means something. And I want that influence to be real and what I want it to be, not out of control or uh, just an, um, an emotional response. Or like you said, I'm really glad you're talking about that, that fight or flight, because it's not just, uh, you know, uh, I'm just going to run from something. It's also, I, I, no, I got to fix it or I got to, you know, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of something that you don't really want to be, but you can't even hardly stop it. Right. And, and, yep. and so you, you have to do something and, and you take, like you said, you're taking some, some actual practical steps as well. Medication, counseling, stuff like that. Is that like you just started, what, what convinced you to go there? Were like, were you like, ah, cause you hadn't for a long time. Once your wife said that you were like, okay, this is the moment where I do have to change or else bad news is headed this way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, and so one of the things that I also mention in my writing is that, um, I, I, as the sufferer, like want to be heard, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of times I want to be heard and I want like, like just listen to me, right? Or, or I want yeah. people to sit with me, right? And in, in, in a non-selfish way. Right. But just as much as I want that, my wife and our loved ones deserve to be heard as well. And I think there are so many times, and especially in just some like personal one-on-one counseling that I do with others, not that I'm a counselor, but just giving counsel to people right. um, who are in this situation, is listen to your spouse or your loved one, right? Because there are so many times where they see things that we can't. We, I mean, we all have blind spots. And especially those of us who struggle in this way have blind spots, right? I mean, in the sense that like my brain actually has a physical blind spot, right? (laughs) Things that I can't fully comprehend rationally. And and I admit that, right? And I go back to the the thorn in the flesh thing and, and what I was saying earlier is like at the end, Paul says, uh, you know, I boasted my weaknesses, right? Like Christ is made bigger in this. Christ is made bigger when I say, I don't have it all figured out. I can't see all my blind spots, right? Yeah. And so I really encourage people who struggle with anxiety and OCD and other mental health issues is your spouse, your loved one, your friend, whoever deserves to be heard. And so that was that was the moment, if you will, that really forced me to get help, right? Yeah. To say, okay, yeah, I'm going to listen here. And, and, and it changed my life, changed my life. Did y'all, uh, Mary Beth, I don't even know if you, we've talked about this or not, but did you, when COVID happened, did that exacerbate anything with you mentally, emotionally or anything like yes. that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that. So I am definitely like a lot of the, the intrusive thoughts that you talk about really resonates with me. So, um, I have a lot of health anxiety and so, obviously when the pandemic started, I mean, I don't, 
I don't think I left my house for several weeks. And even when I did, I was completely paranoid and mm-hmm. I still ended up getting sick. <laughs> <You still got? laughs> but I mean, and like also with relationships, like I'm, I just went through a breakup. It's my first one and it really sucks. And all the, the biggest battle that I have had too is fighting the intrusive thoughts about what I think this situation says about me as a person. Um, But the, the, yeah, the intrusive part, Mm. that's the word that probably sums up my anxiety experience because Mm. it's no matter because, you know, know, I I go to therapy too. So they (laughs) always have me write down um, if I have evidence to believe that something is true, but I feel like I can, when I'm anxious, I can rationalize anything, yeah. anything. Yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> right. obviously this means this. I don't understand. Right. Like I can find that evidence, like yeah. challenge accepted. And so. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because um, one of, one of the chapters in the book is specifically for loved ones of people who suffer. Right. And I, t- I you know, I even have like a, I, I get practical as much as I can throughout the book. and there's a practical table in there. There's literally a table where I say like, here's what not to say and here's what to say instead, right? And so one of the classic things that like people, loved ones tend to say is just get over this already. Like, why can't you just like, just stop thinking about it already. And I'm like, listen, what you're saying makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. You know, or, or, or try to like give all this evidence. Well, you shouldn't feel that way because you shouldn't feel that way because it's like, yeah, listen, I want to, I want to believe that. And if I could just stop thinking about it already, trust me, trust me, I would love that. Right. Yeah. And, th- and, and that's why I talk about like, this is both a physical battle and a spiritual battle, you know, and going back to even our earlier conversation, Toby is like, I do believe there's a spiritual component to this. Absolutely. Right. I have pride issues. I have control issues. I have trust issues with God. Right. But I will never be able to work on those deep rooted heart issues until I battle the physical first. Right. Until, you know, if my anxiety is an eight and my OCD is an eight, right. Taking my medication, you know, getting better sleep, eating better, going on walks, like all that stuff brings it down to a four. And when it's at a four, okay, then I can, then I can do the stuff I need to do spiritually. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, if I'm reading this book, I wear glasses. Okay. If I don't have my glasses on, it doesn't matter how hard I try to read this, this book or the Bible, I'm not going to be able to read it. Right. You know? And, and you can tell me all day what's in it and that I need to read it but I'm not going to be able to read it. So for me, the medication and like all those physical things are the glasses that I put on that then allow me to read and study and and get to the heart issues. You know, that makes me think of this, uh, like, I guess a story or I, I heard it somewhere when I was a kid and it was this little story about how, uh, there was a huge flood and, um, are you, <laughs> Mary Beth, I know you haven't gotten that far yet, but it's in the book. Oh my God. It is incredible. in the book. And yes, yes, yes. 
yeah, there, there's a flood and then there's someone sitting on the roof of their house because it's flooded and a rescue. It was like different things. So like uh, a life fest comes by and they're like, no, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then a uh, whatever they're called. Yeah. A boat comes by and they're like, no, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And then they drown or something. And when they get to heaven, the person's like, why didn't you save me? And God's like, obviously God didn't say this, but mm. like you idiot, I tried my best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that like, that has stuck with me for so many years. It's just, yeah. And that's, and that's so that I use that story in the book to explain medication medication is a common grace that the lord has offered all of us i mean listen mary beth you talk about health issues went to the doctor last week well what i realized is my grandfather had a heart attack in his 50s my mom had a heart attack in her 50s and guess who has dangerously high levels of cholesterol this guy right and so like i've 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 lost weight i've done the stuff but it's it's kept rising every year right? 10 points every year. So the doctor's like, listen, we got like, here's the good news. There's a medication that I can give you that will lower your cholesterol and you will not die from a heart attack or a stroke. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you know, a hundred years ago, it's like, I'm dead. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just living on borrowed time because my cholesterol is naturally rising every year, you know? And so that, that medication, just like my anxiety medication, and now just like my cholesterol medication, it's a common grace. The Lord has allowed that discovery to take place. He has gifted people with the ability to discover that. And so if that's the, that's the, that's the life best he's throwing me and how, and how, and this is what I tell people and they sometimes like at first they don't like hearing it, but then they kind of, it kind of clicks for them. I'm like, how prideful are you to tell God No. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you, like God has offered a common grace and you have said, no, God, you can heal me any way but that way. Like yeah. you, would, you, you will do, you know, you'll do a ton of stuff and jump through hoops like to try to curry God's favor. But he's like, it's right here. Here's your cholesterol yeah. med. Here's your anxiety med, you know? And that actually becomes a pride issue of us telling, nope, nope, any way but that way. Well, it I think too, sense. the other thing that you're saying that I really appreciate is you're not even saying medication only like you're like well no. let me let me let me try a bunch of let me you know yeah. let, like, even with you know even with ocd and anxiety you're like let me let me uh take a walk let me get some counseling let me do all these things but why not add the medication in there as well you know what i mean and, and right. it, all of it together can maybe make something really amazing you know and yeah. then maybe you take something out maybe you add something new all those things i think people get so turned off by once again i just think you're right they go they want like a miracle healing. God's so powerful that he's just going to take it away like that. But that's not, first of all, that doesn't really work because you didn't learn anything. You didn't grow. It's just gone. But now like, you know, now you have something to grow from and to learn from and to talk to other people. Now now you're, it sounds like tons of people are like, Hey, John, man, I'm, I kind of got some, I'm going through some stuff and you can help them now. Yes. Instead of just say, well, just pray about it. <laughs> and that's the and that's the for my good and his glory, right? Like that yeah. now he's also getting glory out of that, right? Because what am I doing? I'm talking to people again, to your point, Toby. Like, I'm not saying medication only, you know, just like my when my doctor prescribed my cholesterol medication, he's like, This is not a magic pill. It will lower your cholesterol. But you also have to do some work here, John. Right. You need to change your diet. Like, you need to do this, this, and this. 
and it works in chorus with that, right? And so, like, you know, every once in a while, I'll get someone who's like, you're just trying to push medication on everyone. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, no I'm not. Like, I, first of all, I'm not a counselor or a doctor, right? I, all I want you to do is go have a conversation. If your doctor right. or counselor says to do that, then do it. If they say don't, I'm not there. I'm not in the room. I, I, right. I can't make that decision for you. Right. What I'm telling you to do is not rule it out, right? Yeah. Don't, don't categorically say no. And then two, and I go through painstakingly, I try to make this painstakingly obvious in the book, just like you still have to do the work. You still have yeah. to put in the hard work. You know, there is my pill, Pro, I'm on Prozac, right? It's not a magic pill. It's not like I started taking that and everything was great. Well, and it's like you said, even with all these things, your anxiety is never at a zero. It's at yes. a four rather than an eight. Right. Yes. I'm glad and you so, picked up on that. Yeah. That, and that's, of course, how I feel too. And I've noticed too, like other people in my life, and I don't, they don't mean anything by it, but if I'm particularly anxious, their first thing is, well, have you taken your medicine today? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. Um, however, <laughs> Right. That does not turn the switch off. Like, I would love that. Trust me. Like, and that's what I resonated to is like, yes, I would love to not be anxious. Thank you so much for recommending that. However, not possible for me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say that that phrase, because in the chapter in the book, I say there's you can ask that same question in two different ways. Right. And so my wife has done both. She's done it a bad way and a good way, right? Mm-hmm. There are times where she's frustrated and she says, have you taken your medication? Well, mm-hmm. guess, guess what that does, right? That, you know, <laughs> that, that conversation yeah. doesn't end well, right? No, but, but if, if we're talking and, and she's really sitting with me in it, and she says, Hey, I, I know that sometimes actually when your anxiety is low, you can get like not intentionally, but just forgetful or you're not thinking about taking your medication. So has it, has it been a little bit since you've taken your medication? Have you thought like, and, and I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, I did, I, I didn't do it yesterday. And yeah, I guess it's kind of been like, like five days right now. And with any anxiety medication, it's not an immediate thing, right? It takes about two right. weeks. Yeah. But, but as those levels get lower, right. You know, and I'm like, Oh, so there's a way to ask that question. That's not accusatory. Right. right. For, sure. <laughs> For sure. Right. And that applies to anything in relationships as well. Like you can ask mm-hmm. the right way. And that's what I, I was going to ask you as well, John, like, are, what are like, are there practical steps that you're personally taking? Like when, when you feel that fight or flight or the anxiety, you feel it kind of coming or there, are there ways to talk yourself down a little bit or, or what, what are you, what are you doing practically as well? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So um, there's, there, there's a few things that come to mind. The first thing is, is, is when I started going to counseling, I learned about this thing called mindfulness. And so this is a practice of, of literally putting yourself in the moment, right? It's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to step away. And I, you know, for me, I close my eyes and I open my ears and I listen to every single sound around me. And I just start naming off what that is. Right. And then maybe I open my eyes. And I name everything that I'm looking at. Oh, there's a cardinal or there's a car, right? And it's an intentionality of putting yourself in the moment, right? That mm-hmm. then, you know, because what I call anxiety is the tyranny of the what if. Your mind starts oh, going to all, to all the what ifs. Like, yeah. what if this? What if this? I got right. this email from my boss. What if he hates me? What if he's going to fire me? What if I'm going to get reprimanded? What if I'm going to lose, you know, all, all this kind of stuff, right? And so mindfulness is a way to put yourself in the moment. And here's what's great. As you read 
the Bible, and especially I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount, like when Jesus talks about not being anxious and you know what mindfulness is, you're like, he's kind of talking about mindfulness, right? Like he's talking about being in the moment. Like, look at the lilies of the field, how they clothe themselves, you know? And you're like, oh, okay, look at, and, and so there's like this, this cool thing of like, like, oh, like Jesus himself, like when he talks about being in the moment, yeah, he's, he, it's like a mindfulness exercise, right? And I'm not trying yeah. to like theologically apply things, you know, backwards, but really I think that the seeds of mindfulness I'm saying are, can be found in the new Testament, right? In yeah. Jesus, right? No, you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's really a great point. I love that. Cause I mean, you're, you're right. Jesus is being mindful. He's even taking time to be alone, to, mm-hmm. to meditate, to pray, to figure out what he wants to say, what he wants to do, all of, you know, the, the, all of those things connecting with, the, you know, the, the, the greater power of God. And so I think that that is a really good point. I think we, especially because our lives are so busy, I mean, you can't get away from the emails. You can't get away from the text message. You can't get away. I mean, there's always something needing you or or can need you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, ah, maybe I should, you know, I, I've been, it, one of the dumbest things in the world is when I just check my email or text messages first thing in the morning or something like that. There's just, I mean, that it, it just feels like such a weak point of I've just woken up and now I'm going to smash myself with some bad news or something, right. you know, if I'm not careful and I have to really be intentional and mindful to go, wait a minute. Like, uh, it's, it's been really kind of cool. Um, we, we do this health challenge called the knuckle breaker challenge. And one of the things I've been practicing is stretching. Cause I it's horrible. I can't, I can't touch my toes. I can't, you know, and I'm getting older and I feel like creaky and all stuff. So in the mornings, I'll just turn on this nice music. And then our, our youngest daughter, she just wants to do it with me and she can stretch a million. I mean, she's rubber. She's yeah, you know, right. eight, year, eight right. years old. Right. But, uh, and I've just been like, man, not only am I she, like, she likes it that we're doing this together, but also I'm growing and it's just a kind of a peaceful, I'm like, man, I've gone from opening up my phone, looking at this screen and an email to I'm hanging out with somebody I love doing something for the betterment and maybe even both of us. And it's really what a way better way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm being mindful of don't do this, do this because it's better for you. And, and that's about more than the, the physical sp- stuff is, is my brain. You know, my right. brain needs that. My brain goes, hey, just can't we chill here a little bit? You just got up. Just do something kind of nice. Set, set your day up. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And those, those little things of being mindful, I think you're right, are, are in the Bible. So I, I, I totally agree. And you mentioned something else in there that was going to be my second thing uh, of going away. Right. So, so one of the other uh, disciplines I try to practice is solitude, not isolation. It's very different. Right. Mm-hmm. People who struggle with mental health should not isolate. Um, right. Uh, when I go through depressive episodes, I isolate. That's not solitude. Um, but solitude is, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was coming back from my in-laws lake house. I just, you know, gone through a, a stressful season of releasing a book. Did not, you know, I, I had some mental health stuff hit me right before and right after releasing the book, right? Which um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised at, right? Right. And, um, <laughs> And so me and my really good buddy decided he was going through a lot of stuff at work too. We said, you know what? Let's take the weekend. Me, you, let's just go and, and just get away, right? We'll have conversations. We'll have good bourbon. And we will just, you know, 
wh- whatever happens, happens. Like, we're not going to make plans. And so we left on Thursday and came back yesterday. And I'll tell you what, it was so recharging. And, um, and that's, that, that's solitude, practicing yeah. getting away and do, and do what, do whatever. Right. Right. Um, so, so that's like, that's a really second, uh, important thing. And then I think the third thing that I'll say it has been really helpful is, is on the physical side of things is really understanding how exercise and food affect my anxiety. Right. And listen, I'm not like, like I said, I'm on cholesterol meds now. Right. I'm, I'm not pretending I'm going to be on the cover of men's health. Right. I'm right. I'm, you know, for my body, I'm five, six. Right. So I, I need to, I need to lose weight. I know that. Right. But what I have learned is that even if I'm just walking, right. Not if I, I'm not pretending I'm out there running five miles a day, but if I'm just taking a morning walk and getting some physical activity, I mean, it's scientifically proven that it helps your mental health, right? Yeah. And then the second thing is, is what I'm eating, right? And so for me, practically, that means I, I have identified certain foods that increase my anxiety, right? So one thing I stopped doing is, I mean, I love Coke Zeros, I love coffee, but I don't drink them in the afternoon anymore because the final thing that I found is sleep is so important, right? Yeah. And so if I'm already an anxious person, caffeine heightens my anxieties. Again, scientifically proven, yeah. right? And so if, if I want to get restful sleep, which is also good for my mental health, I can't have caffeine in the afternoons because that doesn't lead to restful sleep, right? right? So those three things on the physical side of it, of, of getting um, activity, right? Just, just being active in some way. So I've started this thing where, and I'm not going to pretend like I do it every day. It's my goal, but like I, I drop my daughter off at school. I come home and before I open my computer and start my day, I go on a walk. Some days that walk is 10 minutes. Some days it's 45, right? It's like, yeah. today's a 45 minute or, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it just like that does something to your mood and also getting outside helps. Yeah. And then, and then the food uh, and sleep aspect, those have been really important. And, yeah. and I will say one word of caution, and I'm sorry here, but is I did talk to a, a friend of mine, like that can be used just as much of a weapon, by the way, as the spiritual stuff. So she was a friend who said, you know, John, until I read your book, um, my mom was struggling with anxiety and I just kept telling her, just get outside and exercise, just get outside and exercise, just get it outside and exercise. Right. And she goes, until I read your book, I didn't realize how holistic it needs to be. Right. Yeah. It's not like, again, just like there's no magic pill. There's not like just one food regimen or one exercise regimen or just like, well, John, if you only just got outside for five minutes a day, it's like, right. no, that's not true, right? Like, it has to be all taken in course. It's everything right. together, mind, body, and spirit. Yep, you're 100% right. I've been noticing that about my own eating habits, my uh, drinking habits, my uh, what I, my sleep, what I'm doing, what I'm putting into my brain, what I'm, you know, what things that are actually helping me. Because you're right, it's all of these little things add up to the whole 
and and we want we we want I think it's just that you know the times that we live in we want that one thing we want that one pill or that one action or that one mm-hmm. one job that'll make everything perfect and then it just doesn't come through because that one thing can't it's it, there's so many parts and aspects of your life that have to be uh, attended to that if you don't do that then all the little things will start I, I noticed that about me like it'll be a little something like a little thing that I didn't prepare for. Well, like, like even today, like I'm going on, a, I'm taking my kids to uh, see grandma and grandpa, Papa and, and Nana actually, uh, tomorrow on a, we, I live in Illinois and we're driving back to South Carolina. It's be a 10 hour drive. And mm. today I've been all frustrated stuff. And I was like, I am not acting like a good dad or a good husband because I didn't prepare well. And all I had to do was just maybe yesterday or the day before, done a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Instead, now I'm running around. I got to clean the car. I got to do this thing. Oh, no, do we have this? Uh, I got to run to Walmart. You know, and and now I'm like, of course, all I could have taken some steps to handle all of this. And then and then my influence. Now I'm frustrated. I, I have anxiety or I'm being short with my family. Now my influence is influencing them to be that way. And now I see them yes. in short. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And so I've been trying to take some steps to like, even when I'm in it to go, wait, nope, stop. Y'all, y'all just give me a second. Let me, let me, let me just pull back a minute. Cause I don't want to be this way. If I, if I could just, I, the way I want to be, I can't be that either right now. So if I can just pull back, like you said, a little bit of solitude, just, just give me a minute. It, it doesn't, solitude doesn't have to be that long. Just enough yeah. to capture myself to go, you know, okay. All right. This is the way I want to be. I'm sorry. You know, I've done this and this now I'm going to try and work through it and move here. But I think people just, Oftentimes, just think, yeah, the one thing, like you said, you know, the, uh, the cholesterol, just one pill. Uh, why don't you know? Say, th- people, that's I think that's one of the biggest things, even with like the COVID vaccine and stuff as well. People just, you know, they're like, I just want just get a shot, or and it works, and everything's gone, or it's horrible, or what you can't, you know. Wait a minute, it has to be a bunch of things, you know. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into everything. Yeah, and we live in a society that markets to us that way, right? They market yep. to us is if you just join, you know, if you just join CrossFit. If you just join Orange Theory, if you just do the Atkins diet, if you just take this pill, if you just pray enough, if you, you know, like, like we, you know, society and businesses run on the, you know, or this one, if you just read this book, right? Yeah. And so someone asked me the other day in an interview, like if, you know, so are you, they didn't quite put it like this, but you know, I'll kind of, sum it up is like basically so like if someone reads your book like and does everything like are they not going to have anxiety and i'm like heck no no I, you know the the books that i hate when the, when it comes to anxiety are the ones that say here i am someone who had anxiety and i have gotten over it completely have found to fight back yeah that's great yeah. john that's great that man we really appreciate your time this has been really good <laughs> the book is called finding rest john where can they find you where do you want to send folks hey listen you can go to findrestnow.com uh findrestnow.com that kind of has the the landing page that has all the places that you can buy the book or you can go to amazon as well but findrestnow.com is where you can see all the stuff and sign up for the email and all the things that's awesome john awesome. we really appreciate it man this was a great interview we really enjoyed yeah, it, it was.